Good evening, everybody. My name is Brent Cedarim, and you are listening to another special episode of the Zranu Podcast. connection from the great state of Louisiana. Anita Blue and I got together tonight and we talked about her military career in the Air National Guard and how her experiences, especially as a member of the LGBT community, enabled her to realize her full leadership potential. We also touch on her Amazon best-selling book, which can be found on Amazon by searching Breakthrough Success with Anita Renee Blue. And at the end, we briefly touch on the concept of servant leadership and why it can be so powerful when it comes to leading a team in today's business environment. Grab a beer, grab a beverage, grab whatever you like, and we'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Enjoy the podcast. Anita, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you. Same here, Brent. I am super excited, man. Uh, you know, kind of went out there and kind of put some information out. You grabbed a hold of it and you reached out to me and I am excited to be talking to someone in Canada. This is my <laughs> first international podcast. Oh, wow. First. <laughs> That's awesome. I love being the first international podcast for you. That's great. How many podcasts have you been on? This will probably be my fourth one, fourth okay. one uh, since I released okay. the book. Uh, about two two and a half weeks. Okay, yeah, and we're we're certainly going to dive into your uh, your Amazon best selling book uh, later on in the podcast. Um, but for um, for those who are listening who don't know who you are, why don't you give us your uh, the brief one pager about Anita and what you're all about, and uh, you know why have you been on so many different podcasts, and you know what's your what's your purpose, your goal for for you. Well, for me, um, I actually, um, you know, I always wanted to kind of kind of write a book, um, but I am a country girl. You can kind of call me. I am originally from Alexandria, Louisiana. That's uh, located in the central part of the state of Louisiana. Um, and they call it the country. You know, anybody that's not from New Orleans, I know you heard of New Orleans, Louisiana. You're, you're from the country. So uh, that's where I'm originally from, um, you know, and I was there all of my you know, life until I became 18. Um, you know, I played basketball. I was very athletic uh, in school, uh, three sports. Um, and, you know, I did really well with that. Um, and so, you know, I was in ROTC as well in uh, high school. So uh, from there, uh, I did get a basketball scholarship. I kind of went and did that for a year or so. And it didn't turn out quite how I wanted it. Uh, next thing you know, I, you know, I, I needed a car. You know, I come from a single family. Uh, I'm the eldest of four. And I didn't have my mom just didn't have the access, uh, you know, to, you know, assist me with getting my own car. So that's how I kind of like uh, started my military career. I kind of joined uh, the military to actually buy myself a car. That was kind of like my first real, real goal, uh, you know, for myself that I had to figure out 
how would I achieve that? Um, and so through that, I kind of got in the military. You know, I was kind of in the Air National Guard. I joined like part time, you know, the two weeks out of the summer and, uh, kind of, you know, continued to do that. But I had other jobs that I did as a civilian, we call it, um, for several years. But then I ended up becoming active duty with the Air National Guard. And I kind of retired from that just this past uh, first of this month in February. So I'm super excited about that. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a wife. I have, you know, grandkids, kids, um, you know, and I call myself a servant leader. Um, I say that because I've always been of service in all of, you know, everything that I've done. I've been very fortunate from, you know, being in uh, athletics in my earlier life to, you know, being a captain, right, uh, on, on basketball teams, track teams, you know, being a leader in the ROTC, uh, you know, in my church, I was, you know, a leader. So I call myself servant leader because I've always been able to rise to the occasion, uh, even in going into the military to, to lead and serve. Um, and have a lot of integrity to do something for 34 years continuously, uh, you have to be able to do that. So, you know, that's just a tidbit about me. I'm very active in the community here. I'm originally right now living in Houston, Texas. The, has, the past 20 years has been very good to me. So um, that's kind of like the life I'm leading right now. That's awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. There, there's a, there's a lot to dissect there. So, um, I'm going to, I, I want to start, um, about your basketball. Uh, you said you had a basketball scholarship or you were just, uh, uh, involved in basketball in high school or was it college? I did. I actually got one to issue a junior college. Um, me and, uh, one of my other, uh, high school uh, friends, she and I, uh, offered a scholarship to go to a junior college and play for them. Uh, they're in Mississippi, not far from Louisiana. So we didn't go far from okay. home. Um, so we had that opportunity, um, to do that. So that's just, uh, you know, I just only did it for a year. It didn't quite work out, but, um, I did have that opportunity right out of high school, uh, to go okay. to college on a scholarship with basketball. So, um, I guess to give some context to some of the questions I'll be asking, uh, as we progress, uh, this ran you podcast really focuses on the journey of change and obviously the challenges and the struggles that are inherent to that journey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I kind of want to pick apart the, uh, your, your, your time in basketball because you said it didn't work out. So, you know, why didn't it work out and, and, um, you know, tell us your story about that. Well, you know, I was, it was very good all throughout high school. It's just the college that I went to was a junior college and I just was unhappy just being there. Did, I, I, when I said it didn't work out, it wasn't anything particular. It's just, I was unhappy being at the school um, and where the program was kind of going. So it was nothing like super, super bad. It just was, you know, Hey, this is not working for me. So I want to do something different. Um, so I did not go back. I went one full a year at the, at the school. Um, in Jonesville, uh, Mississippi, Ellisville, Mississippi. I'm sorry, the name of the college was Jones County Junior College. Um, and so I, I was left there. I went back to Alexandria. Then the next summer, I kind of went to a school in New Orleans with uh, my family. I had some family live there and I went to a school there. Just going to school, it wasn't any uh, kind of scholarship. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And you know what? Sometimes it just is what it is. Sometimes you just get a good feeling. Sometimes you get a bad feeling and you can't explain it, but you just know that it isn't for you. And there's there's totally nothing wrong with that. Um, how Did you did you stick it out for any particular amount of time before you kind of said, through, you threw in the towel and said, nope, this just isn't right. I'm done with it. No, I went the whole, whole, uh, you know, two semesters there from, okay. you know, basketball was, you know, usually October timeframe through February. So it kind of crossed over anyway, but yeah, I did, you know, a full year at the, at the school. I just didn't go back after summer. So you, 
when you decided to join, um, uh, you know, pursue a life in military, um, specifically in the in the Air National Guard in the Air Force, you did it because you wanted to save up for a car. Like that's the first time I've heard of anybody joining the military because they wanted to <laughs> save no, up to buy a car. I know. Everybody's like, I want to save. people work in a restaurant. They go and read. Like just you know, that's that's an interesting interesting way to do it. So tell us about that. Well, you know, uh, as I said, you know, I was I had a single parent. Uh, my mother worked two jobs very hard. You know, I was the oldest, and um, you know, just. She just didn't have the means to try and go out and get me a car. Right. And so I said, hey, how do I do that? I want one. What do I need to do to 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 make that happen for myself? Um, and so, you know, I, at the school I was at uh, Southern University in New Orleans, um, they had a recruiter there. Right. They had recruiters come to the school. So I started kind of talking uh, to them and, uh, you know, hey, well, what do I need to do? you know, go take the test and all of that. I had to study. I did have to study for the test, um, you know, because I, I, you know, that had the opportunity. We all had the opportunity to really go into the Army. You know, just the, the qualifications are not quite as high, nothing against the Army, but I really wanted to go into the Air Force. And believe it or not, my father was actually an Air Force person as well because the town we lived in had an Air Force base, but I never knew him. I never got to meet him. Um, oh, and I so, okay. you know, it's, it's really uh, uh, ironic that I joined the Air Force and stayed in 34 years, and I've never even met my father, who was an airman as well. Um, so yeah. you know, that's just a part of my story, right? A part of the challenge of, of not knowing, but still moving forward the whole time, you know, with all the challenges that I did face. And, you know, we'll talk about some of them. But I, mm-hmm. I just always was able to move forward. And a big part of that for me was my faith. I was, you know, raised in the church, very active in church. And everywhere I went, when I got older, left, I always found a church home. Um, so right. that big part of how I was able to uh, push forward in all the kind of challenges that I had. Okay. So obviously there's, there's many different uh, departments and, and, and verticals you can get into the military. So w- would you call it just a stroke of, of luck or just a gut feeling that, you know, uh, being in the Air Force was the right decision for you? Or what was the attraction to that, you know, area in particular? I just knew I, I, I had been in ROTC. So I already knew a little bit about March, you know, all the, the skill set that I needed. So I knew I had yeah. something already. I did four years in ROTC in high school. And so, you know, I, I was in the Air Force ROTC. So to, to try that, I had to go in the Air Force, right? And so when you go and uh, take that exam for, you know, the military, they have, based on the scoring that you do, there's jobs that will be available to you. So if you don't score very high in aviation, you probably won't be a pilot, right? And so it's just, a, it's, they base that score all together. So if you want... Uh, Whatever score I got, that's the job they offered me. You can get one or two jobs. You might have options or you might have this is it, um, you know, take it or leave it. Um, what I got into was more what they call services. So at the time, 30 some years ago, that included like uh, mortuary affairs. That included lodging. That included linen. Right. That included a morale where people can go and hang out like at a rec center. So okay, the job okay. that I originally came in as, they did not have a school for it. I went to the basic training to learn all the skill set and learn the history. But when I went to go to my actual base to start uh, my training, which was on-the-job training, I actually went straight into working. I didn't go to a class. I went to, like, if they needed some help with uh, the laundry facility, that's where I went for several weeks to learn that part. Lodging, I went for several weeks. So I never went to a f- actual school for what I joined for originally. So, um, air, so air force services, I guess is probably mm-hmm. the best way to put it. Right. So did you, you know, so was that field you were in that for the majority of your career or did you, were you able to progress or do uh, other, you know, other types of uh, work in the air force? No, I only did that for the first five to seven years and okay. it actually 
opened up. They, they, they took away some of the services portion a little bit and start making contracting. So they put oh, okay. a majority of us, we had to go into food service then. And so that's okay. where you're in a dining facility, making up the menus, ordering the food, working the storage, you know, having to, you know, maintain the, you know, the kitchen. We were, we were in there five, six in the morning, having to start to cook, have, you know, menus. And so I learned a lot, a little bit of hospitality. Does that make sense? About, yep, you know, yep. that portion of it with the food services part and then a lodging uh, and things like that. So it was kind of like the hospitality part of the Air Force. Okay. They didn't yeah, call that's- it necessarily. That, that's super cool because I'm, I've been in hotels and hospitality for the better part of 20 years. So, okay. you know, I always come across the random YouTube video of, you know, Navy, you know, air, air, air aircraft carriers and the chefs there that are feeding, you know, 12, oh, 1500 yeah. people three meals a day. So, you know, and, and the way they do it, you know, with military precision, for lack of a better way to say it, like it's, it's just freaking cool to see, you know, how many people were you, uh, were you feeding on a daily basis at the base you were at? So for us, oof, it, it was a huge it was a huge base. Uh, when when I initially joined, I went to Keesler Air Force Base as far as the base for the uh, OJT training in Mississippi. So it was a huge, you know, base there. So three meals, probably, you know, maybe fifteen hundred people might pass through over oh, wow. the, the whole day um, of to having, you know, uh, dinner, lunch, and also uh, breakfast. Uh, mm. So yeah, you could get a large number of people um, that will be, be being fed. Um, and then once you get to your military base, that's the guard base, you only really go there those two weekends a month, those two days, oh, the two days. Okay. right? And so you can feed maybe five or four or five hundred people um, okay. doing, doing, doing a day on the weekend. If the, you know, everybody's there doing the, uh, you know, drilling is what we call it. Everybody's at drill. Uh, so drilling, meaning we practice and getting ready for when, when something has to happen, we're prepared. Gotcha. So, you know, you, you were doing sort of the laundry, linen, lodging side of it. Then you got into food service. Which one did you like better? Well, you know, I grew the most doing the food services because that's how when I came okay. to leadership and being over people. When I was actually doing the other parts, I was just kind of, hey, you go here, you sit here and just wait and service people. Right. But I wasn't yeah. really over anybody. I wasn't exhibiting, you know, I didn't have any leadership. I had to exude at that time. So I really kind of probably like food services the best because we really were a team. You got in there, you you know, got your assignments. And at the end, it's, you know, you look at all this stuff all over the place. But at the end, you have a meal, you have a product and you put yeah. it out and you, you served people. Right. And so I'd probably be the food services uh, or as long as I did it. I nice. really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I I I was always a food and beverage guy um, okay. in hotels and hospitality, whether it was in hotels or standalone restaurants. And you know, when I started getting into hospitality as a field, you know, you basically had two paths: you either went into lodging and rooms, or you went into food and beverage. And obviously, there were other fields like sales and marketing, and revenue management, and IT, and all these other sorts of things. But those are really the two career paths. So. Um, you know, you were, you know, once you went into one, it was very, very difficult to, you know, transition laterally to the other, because it's kind of like the further down you go the rabbit hole, the, the, the harder it is to get out. Yeah. And yeah, food, food service and food and beverage for me, you know, uh, it's a, it's a young person's game now. I don't think I'd ever get back into it, but it is a rush and it's so mm-hmm. time sensitive. Everything is just on a schedule mm-hmm. and the, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's harder to be a leader in food service, say versus lodging, but you know, you definitely have your, your fair share of things that you need to deal with and, and you have to deal with it in, you know, in a quick timeline, like it's like a time bomb. If you don't mm-hmm. deal with it quickly, then everything can just fall apart. So that's, uh, that's cool that you, uh, you know, you, you liked being in food service. So, you know, being in the air force, uh, albeit, so you, you, 
did you ever learn to fly? Were you ever part of any flying or anything like that at all? No, it's no, not. Okay. It's, yeah, you have to really qualify. And it was really a pilot goes through a lot of, you know, you know, extensive training. So, you know, it's very few people that, okay. you know, qualify. Uh, the majority of us are going to be the worker bees to support that part gotcha. of it. Um, so it's a big, big support uh, team or support uh, that goes along with making sure right. those things get in the air and, uh, you know, do the job. So, um, yeah, we just we have, we have big, big support on yeah. the ground. So diff- many different uh, areas uh, that you uh, that okay. put it, make it all go together and look so smooth. Right. Especially in the yeah, movies. Fair right. <laughs> fair enough. And, and this might be a little bit of an ignorant question, but I mean, I'm sure you, you've gotten to know a lot of pilots and a lot of mechanics and all these different uh, people that, you know, could potentially get you closer to the plane. And I'm just asking this selfishly because if I were in your position and if I was working food service or lodging, I'd be trying my damn best to make friends with a pilot so they could take me up in the air. That's that's like a bucket list thing for me. So right. I don't know. Was that ever an option for you or that just it just wasn't wasn't a thing? Believe it or not, <laughs> I don't I didn't like to fly. So oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, everybody <laughs> in does not, you know, like to fly because, you know, just the, just the whole sensation yeah. of it and have you not been taught or told about flying and what to expect and you okay. have your first experience that first experience is everything right perception so mm. when i when i first took a flight nobody really kind of told me what you should expect it's like turbulence right because everybody thinks right, right. you've never flown and the plane starts shaking i hit a bump and go up and down you're thinking that's it right so you yep, need to yep. really have a conversation with people hey just because the plane is has turbulence, we might not necessarily be about to leave, right? Deserve. Um, but I yeah. never had that real conversation before I took my first flight or two, even though I joined the Air Force, because I knew I wasn't going to be a pilot. So it wasn't like I had to be in a plane all the time, right? Okay. Um, okay. So so that was the big part for me. So I really, really, uh, you know, always had a fear of flying. I probably just got over in the last three to four years, to be honest with you. Um, it's just from that first experience, you just, it's hard to shake. This is a this is a bad sort of relative analogy, but that was like me when my parents cooked me fish for the first time, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it was. It was a piece of kingfish that we got from the West Indian store in Toronto, and there was just something off about it. I ate it. I felt sick. It tasted gross, and it was not nothing my parents did. I think they just got a bad piece of fish, and from then, never, not even. You could smother it in butter, salt, <laughs> sugar, whatever. I ain't having it. So right. uh, totally, I totally, I totally hear that. Okay, so. Did you did you save up enough money to buy yourself a car? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it was yeah. a Mazda yellow hatchback, uh, nice. you know, five speed, you know, all manual, nicely speed, done, <laughs> right? And uh, it was all mine, right? And my friend who was there with me on the base, he kind of started helping me. This is how crazy it was. We were young, so as I yeah. tell this, just kind of be yeah. like, okay, you uh, was teaching me how to drive a stick, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah. if I got a chance to get one, then I know how to do it. But guess how he was teaching me? He oh, was no. in the driver's seat and I was in the passenger seat shifting the gears, but I never got my feet on the other on side. The <laughs> so I bought a car and I really didn't know how to drive a stick. I knew how to move the stick, but my feet. <laughs> yeah, but that's like the easiest part. 
that's I, the know, I figured it out, of course. <laughs> but I didn't really know. I practiced a whole, whole lot with him before I bought the car. Right. Does it make sense? Right. So that was just like crazy part of my story, my life. It's like so many things when you're young, you just you're just trying to get it done. And, you know, sometimes you don't put it all together. But uh, yeah, it worked gotcha. out. Um, Garrett, that's my, my, one of my good friends. And uh, he helped nice. me a lot. So, yeah. Well, Garrett, if you're listening, make sure that they actually get to try out the clutch when they're when they're working the stick too. Right, got to be a combination. <laughs> it is a combination. Um, you have to do it. Okay, so I, I might have missed it when you were you're explaining it. So apologies, but so you know you were you were on a base on uh, I guess active duty for how long before you transitioned to the National Guard and were only there part time. So it was only like ninety days. Uh, ninety days. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, three months. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you transitioned to the National Guard, and you were working two weekends a month. Is that that's just one? Was good. Just oh, one just weekend one. a month, and two weeks out of the summer, 15, fifteen days we would owe them for the whole for the summertime. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And then you were doing that for how long? <sighs> Let's see. That long, eh? And you know, I went to Alaska <laughs> in between there too. Uh, not long after I got in Louisiana, I went to Alaska. So okay. in two thousand eight, I joined in nineteen ninety six. Okay. Okay. So I'm sorry, 1988, 87, I went to Alaska. Mm-hmm. 1987, I went to Alaska, 88. And um, <clears throat> so in between that time, I was in Alaska for seven years. Then I came back to Louisiana okay. <laughs> and then I came okay. to Texas. So just kind of start. I started off in Louisiana. I joined there, the 159th. It's the name of it. It was a fighter wing there uh, outside of New Orleans. And then I went, uh, was there from 1986 and i left there in 1988 1988 okay. january a couple of years yeah and i went to alaska and okay. i stayed in alaska for seven years i stayed in there and i left there into uh 1994 okay 1994 95 i left alaska so i okay. so so I did a couple of years, just the first 90 days, really, uh, uh, I, I stayed in, uh, you know, um, Mississippi. Then I went to Louisiana. I did my one week in a month. And, you know, throughout that whole time, once I went to Alaska, I did the same thing um, as far as a one week in a month. So I had different jobs as a civilian throughout all of that time. So once I got to okay. Alaska, I worked for the Alaska Pipeline. Have you ever heard of Alaska Pipeline? Well, uh, I haven't heard of the Alieska Pipeline, but the the company I work for, uh, they 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 own the Alieska Hotel and Resort now. Uh, wow, that's nice. Anchorage. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I well, obviously never had a chance because of COVID and everything to go and visit. But uh, I mean, that's the only reason why I know the word Alieska. Let's just put it that way. Wow, there's still <laughs> yeah. there's so many connections we have, right? You know, food service I, I know it's, it's it's crazy. This is awesome. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I worked for that company uh, for about five years. Um, okay. You know, I kind of started out there still in the guard the whole time. I've been in the guard. Anytime I talk about a civilian job, I was in the guard still the one week in a month, wherever they need okay. two weeks. And I worked. I started out in, at Alieska in the mail room. Mail room. Okay. In the mail. By the time I left five years later, I was actually in HR over their loan program that they could give out to the employees. So I really, really, and that was one of the best times in my life. You know, I kind of grew up there. I was early 20s when I first went there. And, uh, you know, I learned to be, you know, a little etiquette. You know, so I was where I was in corporate America, right? And so they right. had all the parties and they had all, you know, the dinners and the picnics and all the fun stuff that you get to do when you're in corporate America. And so mm-hmm. that was one of the great experiences of my life, uh, being in Alaska, working for the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, Alaska Pipeline Company. 
Um, you know, and, uh, so, uh, you know, and I left there, you know, I became pregnant and I kind of left there, me and my baby, but, um, so that was, um, yeah, that was one of the best times of my life though, too. Gotcha. How how did you, how did you get into HR? I imagine there is a, a, you know, a a variety of different fields within the pipeline or, or different jobs that you could have gone into. What was it about HR? Like, did you just get thrown into it or was that a path that you chose? Well, I would say I probably, you know, for a lot of the jobs that they would have what they call out in the field, mm-hmm. I wasn't qualified. You would have to, you know, have certain qualifications to go out and be on a station or, you know, they call them pump one, pump two. And I just didn't have those qualifications. So within right. the company, the main company in Anchorage, having started through the mailroom and just making, you know what they say, your network is your network. I just really was a friendly person and I knew everybody because I delivered the mail throughout the whole building perfect networking job right yeah so yeah so and you know i always say how you doing good morning i was very happy you know jovial person um you know and so i just people noticed that and when the opportunity came up somebody kind of told me about it and say hey just apply and uh, that's kind of right. what happened i went from the mailroom literally to hr um okay. uh, in that area now it wasn't always the loan department i ended up kind of transitioning from being that um, it was kind of like benefits. We were in the benefits of somebody gotcha. needed health benefits or, you know, that part of it. But once it transitioned over to, they opened up and had a loan program. I kind of was the person that ended up doing that. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then what was the trigger for you to, to kind of leave Alaska? And you said you, you settled in Texas or was it back to Louisiana after back that? Back to Louisiana. I, had, to Louisiana. A, I had a baby, you know, wanted wow. to, um, and they had like, they started doing layoffs, right? And so I just right. took the package and hey, I went back home. I wanted my daughter to, you know, you know, know our family. Um, and right. so that, that's when I made the decision to go back. Okay. Back and you me. and you just have the one, uh, the one daughter? One daughter. Uh-huh. Nice. Nice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I have a daughter too. Okay. Mine's only two though. Oh, well, that's, that's fun it. times, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially now the terrible twos. I don't know if that's really ringing true now with her, but you know, sometimes she's terrible. Sometimes she's awesome. But overall, right. man, she's she's just fantastic. Every podcast I talk about my daughter, I just end Absolutely. up rambling about her because I love her so much. I better stop right now. No, you're supposed to. That's what brings you joy, man. Everybody, you know, everybody can't have kids. You know, we have to really realize that, that it is a blessing. And I, I'm so, so happy. Oh, it is. Um, it is. It's, her a, it's a life changer. Like, oh, yeah. You wouldn't, well, yeah, you would believe because you did it. But it just, you know, just for the sake of saying it, like nobody ever believes how much of a life changer it is until it actually happens. You know, for me, you know, it was a life changer when she was born, you know, right off the bat because, okay, now there's a third member of our family. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as she kept growing and, you know, she started becoming herself and gaining character and learning words that we never taught her and all of a sudden we're having like little conversations. It's just, it's magical, man. It's, it's awesome. Um, so you moved back to Louisiana and did you end up staying in HR or did you, uh, did you float into a different uh, profession? It was, to be honest with you, that was kind of like a little slump. I still stayed in the military, but okay. it was a little slump yeah. as far as civilian work, right? Gotcha. I went gotcha. from, you know, you know, working at a big company to a, back to my own small town where there wasn't a lot of opportunity like that, right? Okay. And okay. so it was a struggle. So I ended up reaching out to the National Guard a lot to try and get days and because they, you know, they paid a lot more than minimum wage back then. And right, so right. I would have to kind of leave my baby sometime with my mom, you know, my family um, mm. to try and go, you know, make more more money than I would working 40 hours there. I could go work, you know, uh, less than that, or at least the 40 hours and make double what I would make just staying there trying to okay. uh, ends meet. Um, okay. And so let's see. So I was there 
Um, not long after I got there, though, unfortunately, my mom did pass away. Oh, um, no. So um, that was kind of a real, real tough time, too, uh, for me and, and, you know, my sisters and brothers. Because, you know, we all that was that was that was all that was that was it for us. That was our mom. Um, and so it was, it was a little struggle, struggle then. But I ended up moving to Texas. Probably I got to um, home in 95 and I left in 99. So I was only in Louisiana for four years before I left again. But that must have been, you know, a difficult four years for you because, you know, yeah. you have a, you have a baby girl, you know, your mom is a support network and then all of a sudden she's gone, you know, right. the, the jobs are dried up and you're, you're just yeah. hustling trying to make men's meat, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what were, what was kind of going through your head over those, over those four years when, you know, you're just trying your ass off to just make it work like how how were those four years for you it was a a a a struggle but what happened was it was a struggle i did get an opportunity that was a a base in uh alexandria outside of elegant in pineville we call it just like a bridge it was a a unit there i end up joining that unit right okay and i did end up getting days like i said i was trying to get days able to actually be in the town and get days and baby to maintain. So, so for me, it was always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. God guiding me, even when I made some steps, I probably shouldn't make like everybody. Right. But he always found a way for me to be able to maintain. Um, and you know, I had opportunity that would come to me and I, you know, was able to take it. So that's what really saved me financially. I was able to get a job, in the city closest to us um, nice. and be able to make the money to maintain. And I even bought a house during that time. Um, I did awesome. buy a house while I was there. Um, but, um, you know, as life would have it, things started kind of going uh, left. When I say left, I was in a relationship and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was a struggle with that. And um, I just knew I could not continue to stay in Louisiana. I needed to go to where I could spread my wings a little further. Right. And that's how I made the decision to go to Texas after my mother passed and all of that. I was just like, I can't, I didn't want to be there. And I had a sister and a brother who were in Houston, Texas. And so that's how I kind of migrated to Texas. Gotcha. Gotcha. If I may, if I may ask, you know, the relationship that you were in that didn't work out, was it, uh, was it more of a safety security concern for you? Or was it just a matter of, you know, that the two of you just weren't a match and it was. Yeah, we weren't a match. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's fair. How long were you guys together? Let's see. Probably about probably that whole four years on and off. Oh, and wow. Okay. Three, about three years while I was in Louisiana, about three okay. years on and off. relationships in particular um, when you know one party or both parties decide to call it quits um, because obviously there's a there's a rumbling feeling for you know uh, for a little bit before you decide to call it quits that you know something's wrong or this isn't going to work out when do you actually pull the trigger like what was sort of the the catalyst to, to call it quits and to and to decide to to move on in that relationship just you know 
actually was other people involved. You know how you get people involved in your relationships? And you're like saying, why are you involving these people? <laughs> I see. And uh, I see. basically they just, you know, got, got, became, befriended some other people that I didn't think were the best people to be friends with. Uh, and, uh, gotcha. you know, and if we, you know, it's kind of like you have to make a choice. You want to be in a relationship or you want to be friends with, um, you know, people. So it was more of a, hey, I'm going to be friends. And I was like, well, we, we don't need to, you know, kind of, you know, continue to be in this because it's not good for either one of us. Nobody's happy. So let's just go ahead right. and, and you can be friends and I can go on and we'll go to the next level, which I was trying to get to. So the whole okay. time I'm all in the military, the whole time I'm still, um, you know, elevating in the military, I'm, you know, getting promoted and doing everything nice. I'm supposed to be doing with that. That's that's not a problem, you know, for me as far as um, my my ability to move. Right. So like in my book, that's my title, Becoming a Leader While Hiding in Plain Sight. Right. Gotcha. Um, cool. So I was able to still be able to move. Uh, okay. What, uh, what rank were you before you moved to Texas? Before I moved to Texas, I was an E6. That is a technical sergeant in the Air, Air Force. Oh, nice. Very mm-hmm. cool. Okay. So now you move, so you moved to Houston straight away from, uh, mm-hmm. from Louisiana, right? Okay. And then you're, and you're still there? I'm still here. Yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it worked out. That's awesome. Yep. And did you sell your house in Louisiana? I ultimately, I rented it out for a little while and I ended up selling it. Cool. So then in Texas, you know, you, you obviously remained in the, in the Air National Guard for, for the remainder of your career. And then what were you doing civilian wise at the same time? Initially, when I got here, I kind of got a job, you know, you have big construction projects that they have in Texas. They always fixing something, building something, bridges, construction. So I was able to become a well, uh, document manager where you okay, kind of cool. keep and file and maintain all those documents for that construction project. Right, so right, that's right. kind of what I uh, was doing while, you know, still doing my, my guard thing. And that kind of ended. And I uh, and immediately as I'm leaving, you know, and that's ending, I was saying, hey, I'm calling the guard base again. They have always been my go to when things did not work out in the civilian world. And they've always saved me. Right. So I called someone right. and they, I started talking to them. And he's like, well, I don't have nothing right now, but you just come out here Monday. We'll figure it out or whatever, you know, try and figure out and get you something. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into starting getting days and active duty days uh, towards a retirement uh, here in Texas and started out in like uh, 19, probably 2003. So all that time I still was doing other things. 2003 is when I really became fully engulfed in doing military service every day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. So, you know, obviously we want to, we want to chat about your book, um, you know, how it became a bestseller, sort of the content, the inspiration for all of that. Uh, but before we do, you know, what would be that, that top number one or even two top life lessons that the military has taught you over your life that you would want to sort of impart some words of wisdom to everybody listening? You know, is they're very good at, giving you what you need to, 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 to be successful. They provide the tools mm-hmm. um, necessary for you to grow and become a leader, right? Um, but everybody, it's just a whole mindset. For me, I, I would say most importantly is your mindset. Yeah. When you are doing something, when you are trying to do something, your mindset and your thoughts control everything. So for me, they, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a mindset that I knew I wanted to grow. I knew I wanted something initially when I came in and right. um, ended up being the best decision I ever made in my life um, as far as helping me throughout with my mindset um, to, 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 to push forward, to always 
want, uh, you know, in spite of everything, in spite of all your challenges, mm-hmm. you still can push forward. The glass is always half full as opposed mm. to half empty. So for me, it was always I had to talk myself through things to, to, to give myself the motivation to push forward always, uh, no matter what. You know, things can always be worse. I always looked at things can always be yeah. worse. What do I have yeah. that that's good right now when I'm down in my low spots or feel like I'm alone? But uh, but I'm not right. I got all this other stuff that's other people wish they had. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's that's for me going through the military is always the mindset that they were able to make you have to be a survivor. Right. You are taught yeah. so many survival skills. And a lot of that is mental too. you go through basic training to be broken down. And build right. back up. So yeah. it's the mindset, the mentality, the ability to survive is what the military has taught me and my faith of knowing that it's got to be okay. I, I mean, I'm here for a purpose, right? And so yeah. it's a combination of those things. Just, hey, I'm a survivor. I can I can get through anything. I'm always going to try to be as positive as I can. And I, I believe you know, that I have some a higher power that's looking over me and going to take care and provide for me always. That's awesome. You know, uh, you know, a lot of things that you mentioned are, are so, you know, detrimental to a lot of the things that we discuss here on the, on this Randy podcast. One, one, one poignant statement you made, and I think it's very, very underestimated, you know, when we're going through shit and <laughs> we're going through tough times and we feel like we just want to throw in the towel you know, a lot of us, you know, generally as a populace tend to really exacerbate the bad, like that's all we can focus on. And it's almost like a, like a drug addiction that we're just addicted to feeling pain and feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, the ability to self reflect, and think of the good things, like you Mm -hmm. said, like, think Mm -hmm. about all the good that's happened in your life and kind of put it into perspective of the bad things and you know i just kind of wanted to echo that that statement that it's it's there's it could always be worse Mm -hmm. and there's you know there's a lot of good things that that happen to to everybody you know whether it's small whether it's large whether it's you know it's all your perspective i think mindset totally that's great so let's dive into your book so um you know tell us the the title and, uh, you know, what was your inspiration for uh, for diving into this journey of, of getting published? Well, you know, I wanted to always kind of have, you know, some of my life, you know, in, in words. Right. Um, I think a lot of us do. We just don't know how to do it. Or, you know, some of us feel like we shouldn't because we might hurt people or, right. or things of that nature. But for me, I wanted to I call myself legacy. Um, I'm really big on that. I've been kind of putting that out in the atmosphere for myself the last two to three years uh, mm-hmm. of wanting to leave something great behind um, for my family, as well as anybody else who was interested in who I, who, who was she, right? Um, right and right. so I had the opportunity to, um, you know, co-author the book uh, with uh, Matt Morris, uh, you know, just a phenomenal person. Um, you know, huge, uh, you know, person out in the community of network marketing. And, um, you know, I, I said, hey, you know, I had to go through an interview process and um, they say, yeah, we want to, you know, hear your story. And so it really is, um, at, it talks about, it goes through, a, you know, earlier parts of my life. I've kind of touched on some of that already, um, but how I became a leader, but I had to hide in plain sight. And, and mm-hmm. then the most of that is, is because, you know, I am, you know, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian. In the military okay. for 34 years, right? I've right. been, I have been, right? Um, and so, but I was still able to move around. I was still able to become the leader that I wanted to be, the best version of myself, 
uh, right. with everything I had available to me. Um, in all of my jobs, it was always servant leadership. I was in services. I was in food services. I was in information management, kind of helping people through computers and communication. Then right. I was in equal opportunity in the military, which is, you know, fighting for rights based on, you know, discrimination, sexual harassment. And then I end okay. up in, H in HR. Um, funny you should say that. It's called Human Res Resources Advisor. I ended up doing that as one of my last jobs in the military. Oh, cool. And so, so I had all of that um, kind of was able to move. And you know what I said, as I said earlier, I've always been a friendly person. So I was able to always be with people finance, with the food people. You could ask me anything on while I've been in Houston, Texas, at the base I was at. You can ask me anything about anything and I can know who to lead you to, to help you, whatever you had going on. Because I just had positioned myself so so graciously i just got to give it to myself sometimes you just got patting yourself on the back um, <laughs> yeah and and was able to you know be able to do that and I, I i was able to become the leader you know through all of that um but i still had a secret right my secret right. i never was able to openly reveal that for the past you know five years or so uh do mm -hmm. with all the legislation and all of that so i kind of touch right. on that in the book um okay and going through that in high school and, you know, coming into the military, going to college, all of that, I kind of had all, you know, my experiences. And that's a part of what the book talks about and how what's important to me as far as being a leader. Um, right. Five things I kind of point out, which is commitment, you know, be clear, clarity, you know, having cur cur courage. I had courage. I experienced some things that were kind of mean and nasty sometimes, um, yeah. you know, being a part of the military um, just because of who I was. Right. Um, and so. Those things I talk about being humble and, of course, being passionate as a leader. So I have five things I kind of talk about in the book as well, as far okay. as what leadership meant to me. A couple of questions for you. And mm -hmm. um, I, I'm selfishly curious, uh, you know, you, you know, you, you live, you, you worked through the military and through your various circles with, you know, um, you know, being gay, being a lesbian and obviously not being upfront about it because of, you know, naturally being in that environment is probably not. And, and forgive me for being maybe potentially ignorant about it, but like you didn't want to reveal that because you might lose your job. It might put you in a, in a, in a precarious situation, you know, were there, you know, were there any times uh, during your military career where, you know, you were close to being outed or you felt like your life or, you know, your position was probably in danger because somebody found out or there was an inkling or rumors, you know, rumbling or anything like that. Um, they, I, I know there were rumblings. I know, you know, people have things to say, but I, I never um, kind of escaped the time, right? When it was don't ask, don't tell being, right. um, you know, when that was mostly the time I was kind of not full time every day. That makes sense. Gotcha. And, and where I worked, if I was full time every day, it was just a team of us. I had no real, real eyes on us. And I was a leader of the team. And so nobody really was worried about what we were doing because we did military funerals. That's what I did for like six years. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I was able to kind of be tucked off somewhere. So it wasn't like I was, somebody was really out to get me either. I really never was in a big position where people were like, we don't like her. We know what's going on. We're going to get her out. In right. the guard, it wasn't as bad as it was as active duty. They didn't come in and try to be, you know, do the investigations and things like that, like they did some, a lot of people on the active duty side, they were investigated. They were going out to bars and it was, it was pretty bad uh, oh for anybody possibly active duty. And I, I was a guard only, so I did not have as much of a, um, 
sites on me or sites on, you know, guard members to want to, you know, kind of get us put out. Well, and that's, you know, it's, 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 you know, great to hear that, you know, you know, you were safe in in that, in that way. But when you tell me that there's people going to bars to, to seek out these people, you know, that's scary. That's absolutely scary that, you know, you might as well put civilization back a hundred years. You know, when you, when you hear about stories like that, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I think, uh, hiding in plain sight. So being a leader in plain sight, how did you come up with that term? What was the inspiration for, for that? You know, why, why do you think that's such an important term to you? Because I was able to maneuver to higher ranks as an, as an enlisted person, um, even though I, you know, in some people's eyes, I, I was tainted, if you will, you know, or, yeah, you okay. know, shouldn't, have, you know, she shouldn't be able to lead based on her lifestyle. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was able to kind of fight through that. Everything wasn't easy. It wasn't given to me. I had to fight for what I got. Right. right, I, right. I don't talk about that a lot, um, but I, I, I did have to kind of fight for what I ended up getting. I ended up becoming uh, retiring as an E8, which is one one only one rank higher for me. Um, I was in a position to do that, um, but I did not have anybody to fight for me to make it happen like I would have liked to. And so I was unable to uh, achieve that one last strike. But, um, I, you know, I joined to buy a car 34 right. years ago. Yeah. So to get to where I got to was definitely a blessing. I don't take it for granted. I'm super happy about it. Um, so, you know, to make E8 um, in the military, it's not many people that even make that rank. Um, yeah. I'm definitely blessed. So, you know, that was, that was, that was just. No, yeah. no that's awesome. You know, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't say I have a similar story, but I, I grew up in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So basically in the East, uh, in the East of the country. And uh, once I finished university, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, yeah, I did hotels and business for for a degree in university and whatnot. But I ended up moving out to Alberta because I got an 18-month contract to be a restaurant supervisor out in Lake Louise. So basically in the heart of the Canadian Rockies in the middle of nowhere. You know, my plan was work there for 18 months and go back to Toronto and settle and, you know, become an adult. You know, just go out in the mountains and and play for a little bit and, and let loose. You know, 16 years later, I'm still here. Maybe right. not in Lake Louise, but you know where, you know, I'm still out in Alberta. Um, and sometimes life just takes you on a journey and you, know, you roll with it and you realize that, hey, this is this is for you. So um, that's a, you know, that, that's a cool story, Anita. Um, so when did you decide to, you know, call it quits with the Air Force? Well, it, it really was kind of like they told me I had to go. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, hey, girl, you know, we, we love you, but, um, you know, it's, you know, you have to go head on. And, um, you know, I made 20 years, right? Um, gotcha. I needed 20 years to do retire as an active duty person uh, okay. in the military. So I, I kind of started late, like I said, with that going, doing it every day. And so that's why I ended up being 34 years because I already had almost 14, 15 years already in by the time I started. Uh, my, my active duty time. And so, um, you know, it was just, um, you know, time kind of, you know, ran out. It was time. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was ready. Um, it, you know, that's a long time. I did that continuously drill one week in a month. I mean, it was rarely I missed. And when I missed, I had, I made it up. Right. Right. So I, it was a lot, you know, that my family went through as far as, you know, I'm always like, Oh, well, let me check and see if I have drill. 
I don't have to say right. that anymore. You see, my hair <laughs> is retired, but I'm not expired. Yeah, I saw that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> So, you know, I just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a different feeling. And what, what helped me to, you know, unfortunately, we, we are in this pandemic, but I had all that time before that I wasn't really working. So I was kind of transitioning before I really would have transitioned if, if we wouldn't, you know, been in a pandemic. I would have had to okay. still really do a lot more work than I did, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, since having to be at home because of the pandemic. Um, so, so yeah, I kind of had an opportunity to transition and, you know, be at home now. So, uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. So are you, are you predominantly working from home? Like what's, what's the day to day look like for you now? Uh, well, actually, sorry, first, what what year did you uh, retire from the air force? I just retired February 1st, 2021. Oh, so this is just recent. Oh, wow. Okay. So now you're just lit. These are the glory days. Just living life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just happened. Um, what happened was, we'll talk a little bit about the book too, because I actually retired yeah. on uh, my actual retirement date was January the 31st. I had my retirement ceremony February the 6th. So I had a retirement celebration February the 5th, and I launched my book the same day. Because nice. I already knew I was going to have a captive audience. I had already been kind of leading up to the anticipation. The book is coming out on my Facebook and my social media. And so that's pretty much propelled, you know, propelled me um, to have the sales I needed in my category to become a number one bestseller. So that's kind of how I got to that portion of, um, you know, having, you know, made that uh, happen. Uh, becoming a number one bestseller because I had the audience because I'm retiring. Everybody's kind of, oh, I'm doing this. Congratulations. People were watching for that. And I was steady saying, hey, I got a book coming out. Hey, I got a book coming out. Y'all go get it. Hey, I got two more days. So I, <clears throat> in the publishing company that I work with, they kind of gave us all the tools we needed to be able okay. to do what I did. Right. Okay. Um, okay. And so I just followed the, the blueprint that they gave me and it worked out really gotcha. well. Um, yeah, so you, you know, you definitely did a preemptive strike and and building your your audience up, and naturally, you know, when it was released, everybody rushed to buy. Like, how did you build your audience to to a point where you knew that it was just going to propel you to that best selling status on Amazon? What were a couple of strategies that you employed? So, what it is, you could basically I did you know a live video once or twice, just kind of saying, "Hey, it's coming out." Um, I did on my Facebook page. I, once I got my cover and everything, I started saying, hey, you know, the book is coming out. Look at my cover. I can't believe it. I'm so excited, um, you know, and uh, stand by. Stay tuned. Uh, you know, two days. Hey, two days. My book will be coming out in two days. So I just kept kind of what they call breadcrumbing, just kind of building up the anticipation, letting people gotcha. see me. And then on the day it was released, um, I said, hey, today's the day at 12 noon. It will be released. Hey, you guys, I appreciate your support. This is the link. This is where it's at. Da, 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 da. And then the date at 12 noon, that happened. And then I did a live that same day too to say, hey, it's out. You know, you guys, I'm, I'm so excited. And you kind of went through that whole process. So it was uh, it was it was real worth it. And uh, I can that's a part of my title now. So awesome. Um, yeah. Obviously, want to talk a little bit about the the book um, without giving away too much because everybody should just go out and buy it instead of us yes. talking to it on a on a free podcast. on Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. Um, uh, yeah, 
well here do a plug for your book so where can we where can we find it how can we buy it uh, i i realize that might be an ignorant question because you just said it's available on amazon but uh, yeah do your thing do a plug all right so uh the book is out on amazon.com it's uh published through breakthrough success it's the title of the book in a publishing company um a success publishing and the title of the book is becoming a leader while hiding in plain sight but once you go on amazon to actually order it is amazon.com and you'll search anita a-n-i-t-a renee r-e-n-e-e blue and it should pop up uh, we do have it in an ebook and also in a paperback form so whichever way you want to order it it'd be greatly appreciated that's awesome and uh are you are you going to dive into the the audiobook part of it or is it just going to be in print or, or e-reader format only no, it's actually um, you can do either way. It's just a, the price difference when you buy it. So ebook is just a little less expensive. You get it instantly. If you do the paperback, of course, you know you're going to get it through Amazon order yeah. um, that way. So for for me, a little bit about the book. I kind of talked about it. it just kind of starts out, um, you know, just early on in my life, and just uh, it's really based on some challenges that I had being in the military as a as a as a lesbian woman but I still was able to become the leader I am today in spite of all of that. I always pretty much found the good in everything as best I could to pull me out of whatever I was going through. And I have several examples of that in the book uh, and tells a little bit about my life and my story and how right. I was able to overcome certain challenges to be this great person I am today. Uh, retired, I'm That's pretty awesome. happy. Um, what I do now, uh, I am really in financial literacy and credit uh, management as a coach uh, is what I'm uh, working towards. And I also have my real estate license. So those are some of the things that I'm looking to do, uh, you know, and I'm definitely want to get out and do more podcasts and speak and tell a little bit of my story. And my whole okay. goal is to help people. I just want to help people um, achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. If I can do that, uh, just to talk to somebody and give them any advice or mentorship. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to doing. Okay. Yeah. You certainly alluded that, you know, your, your, your overall purpose, regardless of whatever field you're in was always to be, you know, in a position of servitude, you know, to help people be in service of somebody else or, or someplace or something, uh, you know, a couple of questions for you as we kind of wind the podcast down. So, you know, credit and financial literacy, and you're a coach for that. So, you know, how did you get into that? Why, why did you choose that as sort of your, your next step career wise? Well, you know, I, I struggle with my credit, to be honest with you. It's a okay. major part of life for most of us. And in the military, uh, you know, financial obligation is very important to them because, you know, we have to have security clearances. Right. And every two years they would go, you know, and check that. And, um, you know, one of those times they told me, hey, we might have to let you go because, you know, you got too much going on. Oh, um, wow. And so, yeah, so I, once I, you know, I, I made it through that, another challenge that I was able to overcome. But um, it's scary. And people don't realize how important it is um, to have the best credit that you can, right? Okay. And be financially literate and sound about your whole entire portfolio from your savings to your budgeting to, you know, you know, building up your credit, um, you know, understanding, you know, why would you need a will? But everything that's going on, unfortunately, with the mm -hmm. pandemic, a lot of people probably still don't have that in place. And it's like, right. what will it take, even with this the freeze that we had in Texas, What's going to take for us to make the moves we need to make to make things be sound um, right. for us? So I'm really passionate about educating people on that. Um, why credit is important. There's five factors to it. It's very fluid and you can move one factor, a, a move within one factor and it will affect it. Right. And so but most people don't know what those factors are, uh, how important it is that I know this and be able to move uh, fluently in credit. 
Um, and okay. so that's what I, I'm looking to help people get through that process, because once I can, t I know about credit now. So my daughter shouldn't have a problem with credit. My granddaughter shouldn't have a problem with credit because I can okay. tell them how to do it different. My mom didn't know it, so she couldn't tell me. So with this is such a big thing for breaking generational curses and understanding mm, money. Nice. And it's not okay, something yeah. that we're big on in certain communities. Does that make sense? And so we yeah, have to figure that out and break that to be able to lead us down a better path of understanding and, um, you know, you know, get that gener <clears throat> generational wealth like we should have it. It's just okay. a lack of knowledge and people don't realize how important it is until they need it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. uh, tangent question. Um, you know, the, the situation in Texas uh, with blackouts and the rolling, well, it's quote unquote rolling blackouts. Like, how is it over there? Is it getting better? Is there still people without power and, and water and whatnot? Or? Well, a majority of people have the powder, power, but the water is still a, a real situation, uh, still a big situation with um, having, uh, you know, really cold goods, milk, orange juice, you know, eggs and things like that. That's real, still lacking in water. Um, we have a lot of distributions for water and hot meals um, that are be given out throughout the cities. Um, okay. So they're working through it, but water is one of the main things we still need um, desperately uh, as we try and you know bounce back from it because it was something really serious and several people did lose their lives. So I you know sent a prayers out to them for sure. Well, we're we're thinking up here. We're thinking of you guys here north of north of the border, and and hopefully you know life can return back to normal you know sooner rather than later. Um, you know, my, my last question for you as we wrap up here and we kind of, you know, started off the podcast with it. Um, and it's a topic that, you know, I certainly want to explore a little bit more. I mean, I have my own definition of it, but, you know, servant leadership is so, uh, it's so misunderstood and it's so underestimated. And, you know, even as we move forward in the 21st century, you know, a lot of organizations and a lot of people just don't get it or they don't mm -hmm. understand the power of it. So, you know, what, if you were to define servant leadership in your own words, what would it be? And why is it better than, and I know this sounds ambiguous, but traditional leadership methods per se, like why servant leadership over any other style? Because people want to, in my experience, I want to be treated fairly. I want to, people to see me. I want to be heard. Um, and as a leader, that's what we should be able to do with any team of people that we're around. I want to be inclusive. And so right. to be a servant leader, you're serving the people that you're leading, right? right. I, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to do anything that I'm not going to do, right? I am here to serve alongside of you and serve you to get us to the mission goal, whatever the end goal is, whatever the mission is, we're doing this together. So for me, servant leadership is serving alongside of whoever the teammates are, whoever I'm, you know, I have been appointed to be the leader for, and we're going to work through this together. I'm not any kind of dictator. I'm not just going to tell you, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're doing. I'll say, this is my suggestions. What do you guys think? What is your input? And that's what most people want when they're involved in some type of team or have a leader that they look up to. They can say, hey, you know, she always asks, what, 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 what was our input? She never really made a decision on her own. She wanted the team to be a part of it. Because when you're a part of that, you have ownership to it. I, I'm going to own some of this because I was a part of the decision. And right. so that's how I always try to lead. I always try to make people better. I always saw something in somebody. Hey, you, you know what? I, I see this in you. Why don't you try to do this? I think you can do it. 
That's right. how I always try to lead and, um, you know, want to be a part of a team. And it's always better to serve and to give and have gratitude um, because you will always reciprocate that. Right. Whenever you help people get what they want, you're going to get what you want automatically. And that's my that's what I truly and honestly believe. Um, and I believe that's why I've been so blessed throughout all the challenges to make it to where I am today and and even beyond this. And so that's why I'm excited uh, to be, you know, doing podcasts, be able to talk to people, to be able to get the story out um, and, um, you know, just uh, be able to enjoy, enjoy life uh, in this second half, the second round, uh, the next chapter, right? That's uh, awesome, so, Anita. Um, yeah. Uh, just one quick thought, you know, um, you really, really uh, illustrated, you know, the, a good reasoning for why servant leadership is is really the best style. You know, it's mutually mutually beneficial for both parties. You know, I've always wondered, um, you know, why a lot of leaders struggle to accept it, struggle to embrace it, and choose whether intentionally or not to just you know, it's either their way or the highway, so to speak, and they're the smartest ones in the team and they know what's best. And, you know, the underlings underneath me, you know, it doesn't matter what their opinion is because, you know, they don't know, you know, what are your, you know, do you have any thoughts on why it's not a type of a style of leadership that's, that's more embraced than it should be? I, I honestly don't have necessarily an answer I can think of, you know, a lot of, we all come from different environments, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think most of the time the environment is going to play wherever we, the environment you come from could play a huge part in, you know, your experiences and what you think, um, you know, about leadership. A lot of people yeah. try to follow other leaders as well. They'll, they'll tell you this guy was, you know, I looked up to him as a leader and they try to mm -hmm. emulate the styles sometimes. Right. That might have worked back when that person was a leader. When you go back in time, doesn't make sense. But right now in today's society, we're very different. We're very diverse. We're really all trying to fight, you know, for equality still today. And so you you should take a look at that sometime as a leader and say, I, maybe I need to do something a little different or even ask for feedback from your from your subordinates. Just say, hey, just tell me a little bit about what you think about me. What is my leadership? What, do you, what yeah. What's my style? Is there anything yeah. I can do different? And then you yeah. just really be honest with yourself, right? And yeah, um, yeah. you know, take real notes with that. And actually, I'll tell this little story right quick. Um, yeah, when I was right about my, my retirement, my um, colonel, um, he actually, you know, gave me a beautiful uh, a trophy, and you know, spoke beautifully and eloquently, eloquently about me. And I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, he is a white male. I'm a black female lesbian. He knows all of that. Um, and we had, you know, we went through the George Floyd last summer. Um, and uh, our commander, which was a female general, got up and spoke some words about it. Wow. I am in a unit, a uh, majority is uh, white males, um, a, you know, a, a couple of white, several white females, but I'm one mm -hmm. of the few black blacks there and a female. Not just trying to break it out, but it was based on some of that. OK. And okay. so when she got up and spoke, she really spoke from her heart as a leader, how she felt. And, uh, you know, just kind of pretty much telling everybody, hey, it's, it's, things are really um, kind of sensitive right now. So I want you guys to know from me as a leader, I need you to recognize that and to, um, you know, do what you need to do to be the best version of yourself, basically. Does that make sense? Yep. yep and totally so does. after she did that, it just it just tugged on me. It just tugged on me. So I stood up and I had to just publicly thank her for saying that. 
because, you know, I had experienced, you know, racism myself and, you know, what I go through. And, you know, if you if you haven't experienced it, you can't talk about it, understand it. And so I just was trying to tell everybody that, you know, just be very careful, be mindful of how you move and what you're saying, because people are on, on edge. Yeah. And so it was just that type of leadership. I appreciated her as a leader standing up and just saying something to, about it as opposed to just brushing it and not even saying anything about it like it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's the kind of leadership that I look up to and I appreciate. But he was in the room. He talked to me later and he asked me okay. how I was. And some of that, we kind of had conversations to, to, to kind of end it right quick. We had conversations that he had never been able to have before. Right. And I was able to let him know a lot of times when people are upset, they just want somebody to listen to them. They're not yeah. really looking for you to come and make change. We know you can't just as a person by yourself, go make the change. But if you just listen to me and say, hey, I'm so sorry. You know, I can't yeah. understand everything. Just those little things. And it made a difference between him and I's relationship. And when oh, I retired, you know, he got emotional. It just giving me my trophy and just, you know, said thank you to me for being able to talk to him because it really helped him get a little better understanding. So it's just things yeah, that's just that's just so huge what you mentioned. I think, you know, you know, for a lot of young leaders that are kind of embarking on their journey of leadership in whatever role they're in, you know, there's this misconception that you always have to have the answer. Mm-hmm. Always always have to have a plan or you always have to have, you know, um, you know, the the wise poignant quote of the day thing to say yeah. to your staff. <laughs> and um it's just that it's 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 bullshit. Like I, I always thought that I needed to be that person when I was in my my positions of leadership throughout my career. And what it boiled down to is exactly what you said. Sometimes people just need to get it off their chest and they mm-hmm. need somebody to be an active listener. They don't need an answer. Sometimes they don't need somebody to tell them it's okay because it's not. Right. Um, just listen to me and let's just part ways. And you just, you know, it kind of solves half the problem half the time right. just by just by listening. And, you know, active listening is is certainly a, a great leadership skill. Um, but, you know, that example of, of talking about a, a very, that could be a very taboo issue at the time. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to talk about it because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing, especially <laughs> given the, the type of audience that was right in front. You know, mm-hmm. courage to say those things in front of people, you know, that's another great skill. And, and in, in a sense, being that courageous is actually a good example of servant leadership because you're fulfilling, you know, that need to your audience or your, 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 your employees or your team that they want to talk talk about it but they're they don't feel like they're the ones to 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 break into that conversation so um those are two great leadership skills uh anita thank you so much for uh for being on the podcast tonight it was really really great hearing your story and some of the challenges you went through Uh, i think you shared some wise words for uh for all of us listening and uh, for those of you listening um please go out and buy her book i'll I'll post it in the uh the episode details where you can get it uh but i think this will i'll I'll certainly go out and buy it and i think it'll be uh, a good game changer for all of us looking to uh, succeed on that journey of change um thanks so much anita it was really really awesome having you Thank you. And just my last little quote is be the leader you want to see and let faith lead. Awesome. Okay. Thank you, Anita. Take care. you. You as well.
Thanks, everybody, for listening to tonight's podcast. I'd like to thank Ixon and Joe Bagali for providing tonight's music. If you have a topic or if you'd like to be a guest on the Zeranyu podcast, please find me, Brent Cedaram, on Facebook or on Instagram at thecedaram or simply visit us at www.zeranyu.com. That's X-R-A-N-U-E.com. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe, stay strong, be well, and stay healthy.